Welcome everyone to the Cup of Coffee podcast with me, your host, Tom Dillon. This is being recorded live at our weekly online meeting and broadcast around the world. Today's topic is five steps to future-proof your HMO with uh, friend Sam Gaskin. Um, uh, so we're excited to be joined by Sam. Before we start, I'd like to say by way of disclaimer that today is a wonderful discussion, but that nothing said here constitutes financial advice. You should always take professional advice before investing your hard-earned cash. There may be the odd unplanned swear word along the way as well. Um, right, let's get cracking. The format for today uh, is, as usual, that uh, Sam will speak to us for a bit, and then we'll be taking questions from the floor. We're particularly interested today in views from the floor, because Sam's going to be talking to us about essentially what's been going well, what the challenges and opportunities, strengths, threats, smart targets, all that, um, will are around HMOs. And we, I know for a fact we've got some HMO uh, people in the room, um, and so we will absolutely be looking to get your views. Do they tally with Sam's? Are they different? Whatever. Um, to try and get a, a rounded view of the HMO market in well Manchester and the world. Um, a bit about Sam. Sam has been a HMO landlord. Is it an HMO landlord or a HMO landlord? That's the first point for discussion. Um, he's been one since 2012 and has seven HMOs. Sam runs Confidence Property, a Manchester HMO letting, lettings agency, and he's on a mission to give HMO landlords peace of mind by looking after their property as if it was his own. Sam's draws, Sam draws on his experience leading teams as a project manager constructing wind farms across the world. Uh, good morning, Sam. Very good morning. How are you? Um, what's been going on? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, been a busy, busy week in Manchester. Um, looking forward to having a chat. Good. Well, you know, let's not um, let's not make the people wait. Let's uh, let's get straight to it. Am I able to share my screen? Oh, I mean, yes. Okay. So, for the people on the Zoom call, hopefully, you'll see my screen now. Can you all see that? Thumbs up? Cool. So, uh, yeah, hi everyone. Um, Sam Gaskin from Confidence Property. I'm going to be talking about five steps to future proofing your HMO. The, uh, there are many more steps, and there's, yeah, there's, there's a number of best practices and it's, you know, lessons learned and things you can do. But hopefully, these will be five things that you'll be able to walk away with and, and apply today. First of all, a little bit about me. Um, I run Confidence Property, which is an HMO lessons agency in Manchester. We're a small agency, um, but that allows us to really look after our customers and clients. Um, I have, I've been investing in HMOs since 2012 and have three in Coventry and four in Manchester, uh, student lets and professional HMOs. I've also, uh, yeah, my interest in property, I, bu I bought my first buy to let in 2004, uh, probably on the worst street in Accrington. And uh, since then it's sold it on, but I've, I've done a, a variety of things. I've had the shiny penny syndrome. And um, yeah, so I've, I've also sourced um, uh, developments more recently for Armistead Property, a developer based in Charlton. So, um, over the last year or so, 24, there's about three sites, um, 24 apartments. And in 2015, um, I went into property full time. Um, previous to that, I was working as a project manager for Gamesa, which is a Spanish wind turbine manufacturer. And I was uh, constructing projects, uh, wind farm um, projects in Mexico, Portugal, Spain, France, Sweden and ended up in the UK. Um, although I was living out in Spain for eight years, ended up back in the UK. Um, but I really got to um, a point where I went into the, the renewables um, with altruistic reasons about doing something positive for the planet and came to the realization over the years that it was a business that was just interested in the, the money and got to burnout really, where I just wasn't seeing my kids and didn't feel valued, didn't feel like I was making a difference. Fortunately, I had been invested in property on the side. It wasn't quite covering my costs, but um, I'd been saving and decided to um, 
to, to go for it and jump into property full time, move back to Manchester and uh, continue to invest. Uh, what I love doing, um, so I'm really interested in reversing climate change. I've began to spend more time on this now. Um, I've had some very interesting conversations over the last few weeks with some people that are kind of in the, you know, leading the way with this, uh, with carbon removal. Um, I love windsurfing at West Kirby, go blasting on the marine lake there. And I love all things Spanish, including my wife, my kids who were born there. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much me. Uh, but on to the good stuff. So uh, talking about five steps to future-proof your HMO today. The first three around the product. So we're talking about design and in particular on suites, kitchenettes and storage. We're going to be talking about uh, the fourth step is proactive marketing. So it's about once you've got the product, attracting your clients, your housemates. And the third, well, sorry, the, the fifth step is, is about delivering outstanding service. And in particular, we're going to have a look at one aspect of that. And that's really important for future proofing because you've got to retain your customers. And also, if you're delivering outstanding service, then you're going to get referrals and, and increase business. But before we go into those five steps, um, let's have a look at the HMO market in this year, 2020. I don't think it's a year any of us are likely to forget. And the pandemic's had a real impact on all of our lives, but also on the HMO market. And this, this was already before this, this kicked in. Many HMO markets were already reaching maturity and people, um, I'm sure you'll know in a lot of people in different areas, in my networks as well, they were talking about saturation. And this has just kind of accelerated that so if we just have a look at some of the forces of supply and demand on the supply side we we have one of the force is hmo investors um, as more people go through the training courses um, as many of us have been on ourselves uh, that is increasing the number of hmo investors and consequently hmo um, properties on the market and there are, I don't know about you, but um, that they seem to be more and more coming out a very high quality. Uh, if you're looking at the photos and, and the, you know what people are producing, so standards are going up as well. Co-living developments. So in Manchester, we've recently had I think it's three co-living developments in the city centre of about three thousand uh, rooms come in um, over the next couple of years. Um, so the, these are kind of massive tower blocks. Um, for professionals but they've also got whole floors that might be dedicated to co-working they might have a gym cinemas they might have shop retail so that is that's a factor that is going to affect the hmo market although not everybody wants to live in that situation but for a lot of people um perhaps coming to manchester you know graduates coming from out of town it it would be a very attractive proposition retiring hmo landlords is a factor um I don't, in my view, it's not necessarily, uh, in, you know, increasing or decreasing the supply of HMOs. I think that um, from what I've seen, HMOs that come onto the market are being retained as HMOs. They've been bought by other investors um, and, and bought for the, the rental income stream. On the demand side, um, we have um, a drop in demand as our tenants are losing jobs and consequently can't pay the rent, so they're having to move out. Um, some people, and we've seen this at Confidence Property, um, are actually moving into HMOs. They're, so they're downsizing from a flat um, because uh, HMOs are more affordable. We are seeing, um, yeah, so some people, um, perhaps they've, they're onto zero contracts and they're not getting the hours, so they're, they're moving out perhaps with, with their parents to uh, to, to save on costs. So again, it's um, a, a, a decrease in, in the demand. University courses online, I don't know, again, my, my view on this is although courses have moved online, um, I think the whole university experience is about living away from the parents and um, discovering yourself. And so 
I think although students will um, be, be doing their courses online, they, they'll still be wanting to live uh, away from the university. So I don't necessarily think that's going to have a, a reduction on uh, students in, in, for those student HMOs. Um, also, we, we have seen in, in our house shares, um, some people move out because they're no longer comfortable sharing a house with uh, a number of other people. So they might have fought, um, got to know friends over that uh, over a couple of years, and they've decided maybe to move in with two friends in a you know, flat together. So <clears throat> those are the kind of forces that, that I, I see in a nutshell. And as you can see, generally we're seeing an increase in supply and a reduction in demand um, in terms of, of, of uh, HMO properties. As HMO landlords, we're now operating in mature competitive markets. So how do we future-proof our HMO? How do we stand out from the crowd and keep our rooms full? There are several things we can do. Um, so the first one I'm going to look at is around the product. The second one is around marketing. And the third one is about service, customer experience. And within all these areas, a fourth thing that we can do is, is innovate. But um, yeah, I'm not really going to go into that at the moment. So if we start uh, by looking at your product and uh, my, first, my first three steps, they're looking at design. And the first point I'm going to talk about is en suites. So most of our inquiries now, majority of them are for people looking for an ensuite room. And rooms with shared bathrooms are definitely harder to let. So if you're doing a new refurb, then definitely include them. Um, and if you have empty rooms in, a, in a, an HMO that's, that's not on suites so or shared bathrooms, then consider installing them. And there, there will be, you know, they'll need to be space. So you'll need at least um, maybe 12 meter squared room to get a, a two meter squared en suite in and, and still have a 10 meter squared room. Um, you'll need to consider the plumbing, the, the fall on the, the drainage, um, the, the water pressure, uh, the boiler system, all of that. But if you can do, then, you know, it's going to be about, uh, I've, I don't know, let's, let's say £3,000 for an ensuite. I don't know if that's accurate at, at this moment. I've not done one recently. Um, but that will give you a, an uplift potentially of around £50 per room per month, and which is 20% return on investment. So you're not only um, increasing the, the letability of, of your house share, but you're also in, you know, getting a good return on your money. So I would always advise, yeah, putting in en-suites and um, where possible, if you've had rooms empty for a while, consider investing in the retrofit. Before I go on, um, for those that are on the Zoom call, I apologize for, for those not on the, on the podcast, but. Can anyone spot a potential issue with this bathroom? I can't actually see anyone, Tom, so I don't know. <laughs> is, it the, um, is it the sink size? The sink size? Okay. Anyone else? I, I can't see another, anyone either, really. Uh, so people just have to shout out or yeah, they'll throw their arms around. Um, is it is everything's too red? Entrance <laughs> into the shower? Maybe, yeah. Is it, it's not an ensuite, a trick question. This is actually a, a multiverse, and this is like, I don't know, the film Inception or something. Is it the shower, the shower head, the shower height? It's like, a great game, by the way. Is there no answer? And the yeah. door height kind of thing? <laughs> is it the gap between the towel rail and the sink because you could burn yourself as you walk past? Not what I was thinking of now. It's ensuite's a death trap. I said that because we just had that happen before. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to put you out in the towel rail. Is it because is the towel rail electric? And you've got yeah. proximity to um, other water, depending on what the outlet is. You get into your different electrical zones, but I'm not sure what their what their gaps are. Like whether it's a zone one and it's got to be low voltage, and zone two because that might be quite too close to the shower. Is it? It's all been installed uh, with building regs approval. So there's an isolated switch outside. Um, what I'm going to put you out in misery because <laughs> uh, 
what it is, is look at the shower tray. So we've had issues, and this is the problem with en suites, that more often than not, you get problems with leaks. Um, so the problem with this one is um, access, number one. And um, we've, so what one of our clients has done, and, and, and I, I would always recommend if you're putting in en suites is putting in like a, a wooden frame base, maybe uh, 20 to, to 30 centimeters above the floor level. And this has two advantages. One is access. So if you ever, ever get any leaks on the waste or anything like that, you're not gonna have to take up the floor. You can just um, open this uh, access panel. But also you're providing a solid base. Some of the HMOs that we've got with um, the refurbs haven't been done in it great. And the, the shower tray might be resting, for example, on a, on a concrete block. So there's movement and um, that affects the seal and then you, then you get leaks. But, but if you put a, like a wooden frame in, you, you, can avoid that so just a little tip there okay um, apologies I'm just trying to sort this technology out again why are you, why are you showing, us, showing us a picture of your house Sam I'm not all oh, right sorry I think uh, that was uh... Tom, my um my presentation it has disappeared, so I can't see my notes now. Any idea? <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued. If you can't see people and you can't see your notes, what have you got on the yeah. screen? What have you got? I've got, got, like got, got a picture of a nice lake with a duck on it. Well, that's to be honest, <laughs> it's a start. I think it's going to be more of a challenge. I, I, we could try and fix the problem. We can talk about that if you want. Yeah. If you just busk it from there and see what you can do. I'm looking at a picture of um, uh, well, it looks like an HMO, an HMO room to me. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, well, that's... Okay. Well, I'm, I'm just going to carry on. Um, so <laughs> the this so that's so the first um, step is is uh, I've talked about is en suites. The second one is kitchenettes, and I've I've not actually installed kitchenettes in my own HMOs, but it's something I would definitely do going forwards because what I've seen managing other people's properties is that these just fly out the door in terms of letting them. You may be talking. 800 pounds, something like that, to install a kitchenette. And there's considerations around, you know, the plumbing again and so on. Um, I don't know what the, I haven't got data on how that affects room rentals um, in terms of, you know, pounds per month, but it definitely, people love them. And, and in this particular house, this is in Rush Home, um, we saw, uh, I think within three days, we put two rooms with kitchenettes on the market and within three days, they've been let. Um, so this is like a bed sit almost going back to the old pre-buy-to-let. It's like the um, rise and damp scenario, isn't it? A little bed sit. If the room's big enough for the... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's still share facilities, so there's, there's still a main kitchen and laundry room and so on and, and living room, but... It's just uh, yeah, more convenience for people. They're more independent. Um, we had one of the room in this HMO that was uh, an ensuite room. Um, it didn't have the kitchenette, and that one was you know seemed to stick. It, it was harder to rent out. So it's something that I would definitely look at, and you know providing storage. You just put, um, you've got cupboard units, a, a fridge in there, a microwave. Uh, it's an investment, but definitely worth it if you're looking at future-proofing there is this is a maybe it's a question for later but I guess this almost in my mind goes where really most of the people renting HMOs don't want to be in a HMO they want their own independent place and it's almost a, a challenge to the business model it's a great one for investors but it's so generally probably what I see when you don't have all these facilities, it's quite transient with HMOs. Um, and um, yeah, this is almost kind of like, it's a step between a very cheap uh, one bed flat, isn't it? Basically is what you're building there. Yeah. Yeah. So does that then come into lots of other rules? Yeah. And, and something that we can perhaps talk about later as well is, council tax banding um which is a 
for consideration. But um, yeah, I think it, it is it is worth, in my opinion, worth doing future proofing. Um, so the so I've talked about en suites, kitchenettes. The third step around design is storage. So storage is something it's probably for, for many of us it's kind of an afterthought um, and if you look at a lot of photographs on spare room every day as I do you'll see a, a lot of uh, HMO properties that the, there is no storage or it's very minimal so and it's and yet it's something that, that housemates really value um, and that will help let your room so in this photo, for example, um, we've just provided, I mean, our, our go-to storage wall, wall storage unit is the the Calax unit from Ikea. Um, you've got two types, this is the, like a square one, but there's, there's a, a rectangle one that we put in more commonly, that's 30 quid. Um, and you can easily retrofit that into to rooms where you've got no storage. Um, then you've got just a couple of shelves on the wall. I mean, it, it doesn't take much to provide that, um, but uh, a, a lot of rooms don't have it. So again, you, you're kind of trying to work out how you can stand out from the crowd, um, where you can provide chests of drawers. I know some people they even provide maybe two chests of drawers, uh, desk storage, you've got a, a bedside table storage, you've got a wardrobe, provide it as large, large as you can and uh, under bed storage so whether it's drawers may in our experience drawers can be problematic where they can fail the, the bottoms of them unless you put like a reinforcing kind of strut across them um but you, you can also get um kind of open frames beds um or you can get like divan beds now with, with cutouts so definitely provide storage under the bed um yeah, that, that's uh, that's really that one in, in summary. What are you seeing on them um, colours there, Sam? Because, you know, you get this balance of, do you do, like, that That room looks quite nicely designed with a dark contrast in the white. Yeah. But you get this you get this mix, don't you, of some people that want it all white or, yeah, it's a bit of a, it seems, it seems one of those Marmite ones, whether you have the place all neutral or whether you start adding like feature walls in and stuff. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I, I did um, Julian Maurice's uh, training and also he's, he actually uh, helped me with this property. So he, um, he offers, con uh, con you know, consultation. Um, and there are interior design companies that will work with you as well. But I think, Colour is really important and it's difficult to find the balance, but it's just a splash of colour, isn't it? Rather than going overboard with it. And greys have been in fashion for a year or two now, they seem to work. I, I just, yeah, I really like grey and, and white or off white with a few splashes of colour. Um, the furniture, on my own projects, I have tended to, to, to go on the cheap and put in. IKEA furniture and uh, pay a handyman to, to assemble it. But um, also more recently, I have, have been using furniture companies um, and uh, yeah, which is a, of a higher quality. And they do, they're beginning to do more ranges now of, of colors. So lots of options. So those are my three steps on design, um, kitchenettes, uh, en-suites and storage. Uh, now I'm going to talk about um, when we Paint surfing. a windsurfer. Yeah, Surfer, just, yeah, yeah. Thinking, <laughs> just thinking, I wish I was out there. Uh, <laughs> so and I don't have my notes to look at. So um, it's about attract, um, being active, proactive marketing. So you've got your product um, in, a, in this competitive market. You really need to be. On, on, your, on the ball um, with your marketing. So I've kind of put this as one step, but there's lots of different things you can do here. Um, so either you or, you, or if, you, if you're self-managing or, or your agent need to be, um, first of all, giving yourself the best chance. So you've, you've got this 
um, wonderful products. You know, you know, you make sure that you've got professional photos that really give the depth of field. Um, and again, if you look on spare room, there's not there's not that many um, professional photos that are, are on there. Well worth it, and I would re recommend from our community, um, Inner and, and Mick. And um, so you want professional photo. You want to make sure the rooms are dressed. Um, so you, you need to have like um, uh, dress kits, um, and then it's about being yeah active on the portals. So obviously spare rooms the, the major one. And um, so on a daily basis, you or your agent need to be optimizing your adverts, reaching out to people that are registering for rooms wanted. So we contact maybe 10 to 20 people a day that are looking for rooms in, in, in the areas that we've, we've got properties in. Um, you need to be looking at pricing. Um, so we, we do like a, a weekly rent review to, to understand where we are in the market and, and how competitive it is what we're offering, depending on the product, because we, we have some products like I just showed you, which is like high end, but we've also got low end stuff as well. So it's, it's just like trying to find the right prices and understand what um, what's happening to the market. So are we seeing other rooms, um, pe other people discounting, are we seeing promotions, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of like on the, the attracting the marketing side. So it's all about being active, but then when the inquiries come in as well, uh, we're not just um, posting an advert and, and then just relaxing. As soon as the inquiries come in, you need to jump on them while they're hot because very quickly they will go cold and that person will have called 10 other people and arranged viewings or perhaps you know that day and, and seen the property. So it's important to be reactive and maximize availability for viewings. So in the evenings, uh, when a lot of working people um, are available, uh, weekends, but also during the day, some people, for example, uh, we, we use a booking system and generally we, we have evenings and weekends available, but somebody wanted to book during the day. And it was uh, some parents with their son who had graduated and they're in Manchester for one day. So we made sure, you know, we, we do everything to make sure we, we're available for that viewing because they're not going to be around in Manchester again. So you've got to make, you know, seize the opportunity. Um, just trying to think anything else about proactive marketing. Um, for our own properties as well, we, we um, have successfully found a number of tenants through open rent, um, which is very good value, uh, £30 for advertising for three months, uh, I'll get you onto right moves, Zoopla, on the market, Gumtree. Um, so that's well worth considering. Um, yeah, so that's my my fourth point is it's around proactive marketing. It's about being active um, or, or having somebody out there and doing it for you. The fifth step is around customer service and um, couldn't resist putting a picture of a cup of coffee on here. Uh, maybe some ideas for you, Tom, and your new logo. Um, so it's about retaining customers and attracting more because we're, we're kind of out, outperforming the market. And there's lots of different aspects of customer service, like the whole customer service journey through that initial contact, through the, the spare room inquiry, whatever, how you respond to that, the viewing and so on. But then once they're um, tenants in the property, it, it tends to tend to be a few issues, but the, the main one that a lot of uh, tenants complain about or, or move out around is, is about maintenance. And when, um, we just trying to think, we took on um, an HMO in November last year and quite, quite frankly, I was shocked with the uh, the number of issues, the maintenance issues that that we found that had not been addressed, and um, yeah, I think it's it's really important that you have somebody that, that cares about the property and your investment and um, addresses these and kind of nips things in the bud because they escalate. And not only 
can cause damage to your property but you know tenants will move out it's kind of i don't again don't have the data on this but i'm i'm sure it's one of the major reasons why people move out of their rental properties because maintenance issues don't get addressed how can you resolve this um two things that, that we do and it's it's that simple these are things you can do today or your agent can do today if, if, if they i'm sure many of you already got in place first one is on the notice board it's having um a clear um process for reporting maintenance issues so whether that is through an email address a phone number it might be you use software so you've got an application uh, that people log on to a website where they report on a form they need to understand there's a clear process on how to report maintenance issues um, but also we um, clarify expectations so we've got um, around our maintenance policy we've got target response times uh, so for emergency repairs those will be that we aim to get those done within 24 hours and we're talking about the heating going off uh, leaks um, electric problems possibly uh, broadband going off you could consider it in this category and certainly for the housemates it is uh, the next one is um, urgent repairs that's Perhaps uh, still still important, but not urgent. And um, yeah, it's about the convenience, the comfort of the people living there. The, the, um, for example, the washing machine not working, um, those kind of things. And then for any anything else that doesn't fit into that category, those categories, non-urgent repairs, uh, we, our policy is four weeks to, to get those done. So those are the expectations that, that our tenants can have. The second part of maintenance management is um so you you have those reports come in of issues how do you then track them all and make sure you get them done uh, for, for many of you that you, you won't even have to worry about this the agent will do it or, or maybe, maybe you do if, if the, the tenants are not you know um not happy but the, the system we use and which you can all use free um is asana so um this is we, we use asana for running our business basically and um, that's come through working with Steve Day on his systemization course which again which I'd highly, highly recommend. Um, so within Asana you can set up a maintenance project and again we've we split the the, sec, the, the project into sections according to the the category of, of the issue and then with our team you can assign the jobs to the team uh, you can tag in the different properties, so we use short codes for the, the different properties, and then you can track those issues as and when they get done. People out in the field can update the task, take photos, and um, report back to the tenants and make sure they get closed out. So that is, I think, pretty much all I wanted to say about maintenance. Um, yeah. So that kind of, I think it's gone quicker than I expected. Um, those are the five steps to future-proofing your HMO. We've got, um, so the three steps around design, ensuite bathrooms, kitchenettes, maximizing storage. The fourth step is proactive marketing, making sure that in the competitive marketplace that we're doing everything possible to attract in those customers. And delivering outstanding service, we, we've looked at maintenance and um, what we some some steps we can do to make sure that maintenance issues get reflect and um, resolved quickly and effectively so that brings me to the end of the presentation um very quickly confidence property this is how we can help we're an hmo letting agency we can help with tenant fines uh, on the full management side. We look at, we deal with the compliance around certificate renewals, HMO license requirements. We liaise with councils. Um, obviously, we deal with maintenance, which I've just spoken about, and we um, collect the rent for you and, and pay that in. Um, prices. So we actually started just doing a tenant fine service now for, for people that might be interested in that. Um, the price for that is one month's rent and Otherwise, full management uh, is 11% of the monthly income and a tenant fine of 225. In true presentation style um, and for Asana, 
members and podcast listeners who register um, with us by the end of the year. We're offering 25% off the tenant find, so just 75% of one, one month's rent. And for full management, the first month, there is no management fee to pay. That's the end of my talk. So hopefully there's something in there that's, that you found useful. Um, and I'd like to open it up to questions or I'm really interested in your experiences as well. So there are a number of HMO landlords on the call. Um, if you have found, you know, some best practice that you think is helping to future-proof your HMO or some some solutions that you put in place to avoid issues, then yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you very much, Sam. Very much appreciate it. Um, uh, we've had some good chat in the chat as well, so uh, we'll um, we'll get on to as many questions and maybe topics that have come up there as we can. If anyone's got anything else, then feel free to keep tippy-tapping away and we'll we'll get through as much as we can in the next, uh, what, 20 minutes or so, which is good. So, um, uh, playing devil's advocate for a second, because uh, I've got HMOs and I'm uh, on certain days quite keen on them. Uh, uh, HMOs... Um, I once heard them described as someone said they're they're good for cash flow and bad for everything else. Um, is that is that fair or is that unkind? I'd agree they're good for cash flow. Um, that's why we all invest in them. Um, and everything else, well, I don't know. It, it's just they are hard work, harder work than a single that. Obviously, you've got more people living there, more potential issues of um, you know. A number of tenants uh, and also the, the interaction between them so yeah there's there's more work but there's more reward um i i, I really like them yeah um I love the I love Ant's reference to rising damp. I can't help thinking that, that that's maybe a, a reference that Confidence Property would like to distance itself from uh, 1970s bedsit with, um, I forgot the name of the actors who played in rising damp, but uh, with those kind of characters mooching about. My guess is that's not the model which you uh, you uh, you have. Although I totally get where Ant was coming from, by the way. I'm not having a go at Ant. Because it is moving towards a, a kind of a you know, not bed sit, you know, a studio flat model, isn't it? I mean, the, 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 basically, the, the, the lines be between um, HMO room and studio flat are becoming blurred when you start to add um, en suites, well, yeah, en suites and, and, and kitchenettes. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's moving more towards that way. And I know some developers, they are uh, kind of doing flat lits um, where they will maybe have and larger HMOs but like splitting them into four or four you know four rooms and um, sharing facilities something I forgot to mention though was um was also I know I've got a friend of mine um who has a four bed HMO who um and he's been struggling to to let a couple of rooms in that for a while and what he just he's decided to do is to move the remaining two tenants out to another HMO he's got and convert those that four bed HMO into two flats and he's actually getting more rent from those two flats than he was before as the four rooms when they were fully let uh, I think about 50 pounds more and also he's got um, the occupancy so that it's more desirable going back to what you were saying Tom it's more desirable for people to have their own space and um, so yeah that might be something to consider yeah, I, I invest in MUBs, which is essentially Victorian houses split up into dedicated flats. That's that's been my other than single let. That's been my main model. But I'd be interested in what your friends done because if you're converting now, if it isn't, if it hasn't, if it wasn't converted pre, like uh, the last building, right? Like probably like ten off or whatever years ago you get into all sorts of trouble over acoustic and separation re regulation rules yeah. that just make it really cost prohibitive. So you've got to pick up the old dirty ones and then renovate them a little bit cheekily. Like, you know what I mean? When you do a rent, a, a, you're only supposed to change kitchens and stuff, aren't you, before you've got to get building control out. But I've done them to a lot better standard, replastered, insulated, and all this sort of stuff, which is probably a bit borderline. I've not changed the boundaries, but I've just made them a lot, lot better. Um, 
just for that reason because I think people want the space, but they're they're they cost a lot more. You, you're yeah. talking four four hundred k. You can get a HMO for two hundred, can't you? As a kind of guide. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know what the standards are that is working to, but yeah, you've got to look at the numbers and work out whether it's worth your while. There was um, there's also another question, which is if your HMO is tired and maybe you did the refurb 10 years ago, five years ago, and it's just, you know, can't compete really, then maybe it's time to buy the bullet and uh, and completely refurb it. I mean, that's something I have done myself as well with, uh, with uh, the, the three HMOs I've got in Coventry. The agent was um, a couple of years ago said to me, look, Sam, um, there's five student blocks that have just been built and um, we, we're not going to let the rooms this year. It's academic year coming up in September. You're, to be honest, your HMOs are crap. <laughs> and and I, I went, I had a look at them. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> they're, they're not good. So um, I decided to refurb all three of them within a month, which is a bit stressful for everyone. Um, but they were done to the higher standard that you, you see at the moment. And um, as a result, they've been fully let. And I, yeah, I, I don't know if it was just all of the, everybody was panicking with these student blocks, but the agents since come back and, and they've said, you know, demand is stronger than ever. Have you got any more HMOs or do you want to buy some more? So, and, and then subsequently, I refinanced out on those HMOs. So, um, I was able to get the the investment back. Uh, it's just something to consider if you know if you really if you have been struggling with, with an HMO, then maybe it's time to to bite the bullet and and refurb. Okay, um, getting on to what's going on in the chat. So Chris asked a question, which was then sort of taken up. But uh, to, to, to start the start, he asks whether um, well, let's, let's actually read it out. Uh, namely, what would council tax be payable if a room has a kitchenette? And I think that the, the answer to that is maybe it kind of depends on a million factors, including what mood the council's in, I think would be, uh, why am I answering the question? Sam, <laughs> answer the question. Yeah, it depends whether it's being banded as, uh, as you know, a single um, council tax ban for that room. So that banding's done by the BOA. And this is BOA? the, this is the disc, uh, sorry, the, oh, what's it, what is it, BOA? Um, the test if you don't pass this you're out um I, i've forgotten vehicle i always get me <laughs> someone will help me i'm sure someone type in the chat what voa stands for meanwhile sam tells us what's going on yeah so in, in in a number of areas around the country um this has been an issue where hmos have been cancelled tax banded by the room and, and again i've got a friend who, who's had this happen recently so, and all of a sudden, you know, his his council tax bill has gone up by uh, five times. And uh, I think the issue is that it's not a, a um a kind of blanket approach to to all of the properties. So all of a sudden, anybody that's in this situation um, is uh, they're not they're not in a an even marketplace. So that they they can't. Um, Pass, you know, pass those costs on to the tenants because the the, the rents in the market don't allow it. Um, is this dependent on how in debt the council is? I'm getting, and how keen they are chasing people up for extra income. Quite possibly, yeah. I've not actually have, I've got experience of it, but there this. So my my friend, there is within the progressive property community. I understand that there there's somebody that's successfully challenged. Uh, they they appealed against the single tax banding. And they are offering for a fee, I think, which is to, to recover their costs. It's about hundred quid. Um, a you know how they went about doing that. So, yeah, I, I don't know if it in, in Manchester. I don't know anybody that's been affected by this. Does, does anybody? I think I think we may, Neil may be affected in Warrington. Uh, we'll come on to that in a sec. Um, uh, and if I don't know if Neil's actually there or just there, there or whatever he is, I don't know if he's out or out at. But um, we'll see if he wants to uh, uh, tell us something about it. We've certainly got something in the chat about it. So uh, 
uh, in order then, Richard asks, are there any building control, on a similar topic, are there any building control issues or requirements with kitchenettes beyond normal HMO refurb requirements, e.g. electrics, heat sensors, upgraded, etc.? I've added etc. for the record. Um, Sam? Uh, the kitchenettes that I'm talking about, uh, like the ones you saw there, it's just basically worktop and a microwave and a fridge and, and uh, drainage. There's not actually any cooking facilities in there. So my understanding is no. Um, yeah, it's the same I'm as my not... understanding that if you start, like you, people do, um, do for example, you can get plug-in hob type things, can't you? But those fills are removable, then, yeah. then you, you, and you've not provided it, then you've not provided cooking equipment, then there's not much difference really between what you provided and provided uh, providing a built-in cupboard, which is essentially what you provided. Yeah. Because um, everything else, like the mi microwave, whatever, is plug-in and, and removable. Um, it, when, when, it, as you can probably tell, it does seem to get into grey areas. Yeah, when you start, if you've got a full-fitted oven with Arga, then it's um, you're into a different, into a different ballpark, aren't you? I think. So some people describe these kind of kitchenettes as tea-making facilities. Um, yeah, so hopefully that answers the question. Uh, your guest just says really great tips today. Thanks, Sam. So uh, now we're into your shout-outs, um, which with my commercial radio oh, head on is uh, I think well to be welcomed. Um, uh, Chris, another great question from Chris. Chris is on fire today. He's taken up Yogesh's mantle, and Yogesh should feel threatened by that and fearful. Um, Chris asks, uh, uh, how do we select the right HMO letting agent to work with? Um, how can we try to avoid lots of fees and expenses from our HMO agent? Yeah, uh, it's, it, it has been difficult, and I, and I, I myself you know, have, have been through that um, recently. In Coventry, um, my agent, due to ill health, had to retire, and she was fantastic. Um, she really looked after the properties and the tenants, um, and I went about it in the same way that I guess most of you do. It's speaking to other people and getting recommendations. It's looking online, um, looking at a website if they have one. Um, looking on to spare room where we're advertising what what you know what's their kind of marketing copy um, what are the photos like um, and just speaking to them really perhaps go and see some of the, the, the properties they manage ideally speak to some of the, their clients their landlords um, that's what I would do uh, Yogesh comes roaring back. Well done, Yogesh. Um, uh, albeit he came roaring back at 10.40, so that's 12 minutes ago, which is frankly impressive because I hadn't even had a go at him at that point. Uh, and he says, um, how often do you do fire assess fire risk assessments and what areas do you cover? Fire risk assessments. So we've done it um, initially um, for, for the HMO licence and we've used a an independent company uh, to do that um, and that is just basically kind of reviewed on a, an annual basis um, so I don't think much really changes in that in that but it's it's just about um, in the fire risk assessment you're looking at um, the risk and the um, how to mitigate the risk and the control measures that you need so you, you would have you've got your fire alarm system that you've installed when is that serviced when is it tested um when you're doing your uh, your cleans you know uh, the uh, fire escape routes un unobstructed um cellars are people housemates accumulating cardboard boxes in the cellar or stuff like that um those kind of things so in answer to the question, yeah, it's, it's it's like an annual review, really. Yeah, not to be fire risk assessments. I always get mixed up with fire panel checks, which are, of course, depends on what kind of well, are different things, which is hence why Sam's answer is correct, because he's talking about fire risk assessments. But also um, with the with the alarm checks, it depends what alarm you've got in case to avoid any confusion, because I know it caused me confusion in the past. And that is determined by exactly what kind of category of panel you've got, or whether indeed you have a panel at all or just interlinked smoke alarms, um, and, and what the rules and regs uh, say about when those need to be tested. So that would be a, a, a varied uh, an answer that would depend on that um julie with the uh, excellent follow-up which is similar but different which is how frequently do you find it best to do visits stroke cleaning sorry that again 
uh, how frequently I, I'm torn whether to go over to the people because I'll ask the questions better than me. But anyway, I've started, so I'll finish. Um, how free? Uh, I nearly did an auto glass repair, auto glass replace uh, commercial advert there. No idea why. Um, you've avoided it. How frequently do you find it best to do visits, stroke cleaning? Tom, can I elaborate on what I meant? No. Because yes. Because it, it was more about from the customer service side, right? So um, you do them more frequently because that's more customer service but does that then do you find that becomes annoying to the tenants so i was just interested to hear like how you decide your frequency of, of visits bearing customer service yet maintenance in mind i've not had any feedback from the housemates about the frequency um we we tend to do every two weeks for um smaller hmos so up to five beds but uh, for larger hmos and HMOs where you've got a grade A fire panel that needs to be tested weekly. We, we will do a, a weekly clean. Okay, cool, cool. Um, I've just been squinting forward at the questions. When we started this, I was 12 minutes behind in terms of chat. We're now 15 minutes behind, so it's getting worse, which in some ways is good because it means we've obviously uh, got, got people's interest and more accurately Sam has, so that's great. But um, do quick fire answers, Sam, otherwise we'd be screwed. Uh, uh, so uh, Julie wades in no, no she doesn't yogesh wades in to take control of the crown again uh, with do you can how, how do you control maintenance costs especially distinguishing those damage between tenants and general wear and tear that's a good question um probably not as well as we could do i think um i myself i mean as an hmo landlord one of the things i i've I, I don't have is a maintenance budget. Um, so I would recommend to myself and, and to all of you guys to, to work out what, what that is and, and, and then communicate with your agent, you know, what you're happy in terms of approval limits on, on them getting done um, without, without consulting you. Uh, we don't actually, so we take deposits from our tenants. Um, we take a 200 pound deposit. Um, we haven't been doing uh, photographic inventories up to date, which may prove to be an issue if we have ever had, you know, um, a tenant who was uh, kind of uh, rejecting any claim against damage. Um, so that that would be one thing to consider is is a photographic inventories or a video inventory, um, and then. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it can be difficult. I mean, we have had communal issues before and we just tell the tenants, look, this, this, is, this is the issue, this is the cost. Um, you're going to be charged between you. This is your share. And in our experience, most tenants do, you know, do pay up. Um, I think, yeah, it's just, it's just about being on top of the properties, really. And, and, and yeah, you're going you're gonna to have some maintenance cost that is just inherent of, of running a property. Um, the, the stuff the certain, within the rooms, yes, you can claim on the deposits. Um, and if it's communal, then it's yeah more difficult discussion with all the housemates perhaps. Yeah, the way, the way we uh, do maintenance budgets is we allocate one month's gross rent if, 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 a, if a, for HMOs, if it was fully let. Um, so clearly, if you work out work that out it's about eight percent um it's what we work out eight percent of gross rent will go on maintenance we find that's actually a bit high but you know if you can build up a buffer over time that's the very very rough and ready figure we use um uh, and works for us uh yeah i think Stricky, you were talking then about briefly about uh, check-ins and um, inventories and we used to use a company that uh, did your 458 pages of photographs and you think well this is great well first of all it's it's it's, it's, it's a freaking 10 meter squared room with some marks on the wall uh so you've got to pay for that so it's easy it's one of those things that everyone would instinctively agree to go oh yes i'd like to do a, i'd like to do a photo inventory that that sounds great yeah except you've got to pay for it um so if you've got five rooms like you know that will change the price you're going to pay for a tenant find or for a check-in or whatever it is so do you want to pay that um and we decided a long time ago no thanks um because it, 
well, it depends. It depends. It does depend on the situation. But um, I, I, for example, personally think that video inventory is a miles better because it takes someone about 30 seconds to shoot um, uh, and you haven't got to annotate a load of photos or any of that stuff. So uh, so there's different ways of doing it. Um, with only a few minutes to go, uh, Yogesh asks, do you pay for British gas boiler cover or similar? If so, which company do you use for home emergencies? How do you well? How do you avoid condensation issues? We've been here all day. We'll ignore the condensation issues uh, and uh, go with the first one. I'm going to do the opposite because I, I, I don't use uh, British gas boiler cover. I've heard it's well worth it. I've, I've not reviewed, um, you know, done the finance analysis. I, I don't, I think I've been lucky in our HMOs not had many boiler failures um, or, or yeah, call outs, but. No is the answer. Uh, I'm sorry, Yogesh, I, I can't recommend the company. Um, condensation, I think, is is a massive issue for a, a mould around HMOs um, because you've obviously got people living in rooms and quite often they're converted Victorian terraces. Um, it, it's a common problem. And I, I still not, I'm, I'm not by any means a master of mould <laughs> or a, you know, um, the master of mold. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I, but what we have done for we we have commissioned like independent surveys by um, companies that will come and look at uh, condensation mold issues, and some of the recommendations we've implemented. Quite often, it's to do with, for um, for example, just lack of ventilation in the room. So, furniture being against walls and. Um, so what, what you can do there is um, just make up some timber blocks and fit them to the beds um, to keep them away from the wall, um, which we've done. Um, it's looking at air vents, um, looking at trickle vents on windows, because if you think about moisture, um, it kind of rises up like smoke and then it starts coming down. So if you've got a trickle vent, it will go out through those vents. Um, we've also whilst, um, looked at things like, um, so it was identified in one of those surveys that the extraction on the showers just wasn't working. So it, unless you're quite specific when you're doing your refurbs on what kind of throughput literage the extractor should be, they'll, they'll probably just put in the cheapest one. And um, I don't know, the, again, the numbers, but you, you want to be going for a high volume through um, uh, liters per second and humidistat versions that will that will stay on until the, the moisture has been reduced. So bathrooms, kitchens, uh, and then the people, the, the producers of the, the, the condensation. And if you've got a like a solid wall property, um, yeah, you, yeah, it's gonna get, uh, the, the wall's gonna get cold. So maybe you need to look at insulation, whether it's, external cladding or you know in the room some people have successfully also um put in positive in, um what is it piv positive input ventilation systems like envirovent or, or, or um I've, we've not actually got experience of those but yeah if anyone's got any mold tips then by all means share, share. Cool. Well, with with that, me saying ignore the question about condensation, I and mean, we've now done the master of mold and and condensation for five minutes. Uh, I feel first of all, well, that's is it. What what a way to finish because uh, we are out of time. Um, but also, uh, I need to work on my hosting. <laughs> uh, but then that's uh, twas twas ever thus. Uh, but it, hopefully, some great value there. I've come up with an idea in the last minute. Uh, Sam was speaking there, which is there's loads of questions there, and they're all really really good ones. So I don't want to like let those go to waste because we just haven't got time to cover them now. So uh, although I haven't this by Sam yet I feel confident that um, he'll be up for it me and him will jump on um, uh, a, a Facebook live or similar in the week and then I'll post I'll answer I'll, I'll ask him exactly these questions that everyone's posted in here so if anyone's got any more feel free to stick them in I'll, I'll leave this meeting open when I disappear in a minute uh, and we'll put that on the Facebook group and I'll, I'll post that link as well with the podcast so anyone wants to catch up with sort of extra gear for top gear as it, as it was um, you know with a bit more of Sam and him answering some more questions uh, then uh, then that'll be there as well and so again so thanks for everyone for posting questions we'll get them all answered um 
thanks everyone for attending really appreciate it uh and and for those to those listening to the podcast uh uh special thanks to our speaker sam gaskin tune in next week when we'll be joined by me and my business partner chris as we'll be talking to you about our property disasters but sort of a very much an updated version because we've been doing that for a few years now um so talking about our disasters but also what we've been doing and learning recently and maybe what you can benefit from that with things like um uh, multi-unit blocks but also how to save money when you're looking to streamline a portfolio kind of the other end of the of the game as it were as well um uh so that'll be frankly amazing and yeah thanks all for being here